Matthew chapter 15, if you would, Matthew chapter 15, we'll begin in verse one. I'll, be, I'll read verses one through six and then we'll make our way. Okay. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? But they don't wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them. And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles your father or mother must surely die. Verse five. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you have would be gained from me, uh, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his mother and uh, honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Now, verse one as we're looking at this it says that the Pharisees came from Jerusalem. Jesus is still up North right now. And they're making the trek. Remember over the past several uh, chapters, basically Matthew has been highlighting the fact that Jesus is absolutely his ministry and scope is just of his, the size and scope of his ministry is just booming. He is healing people. Uh, he's been going from city, city, town to town, preaching the good news of the kingdom, right? Uh, of the gospel of the kingdom. He's been healing every disease, affliction, blindness, people who are deaf, uh, the lame are leaping, the demon possessed are free. And on top of that, he has now fed 5,000 people miraculously in the wilderness. And so great crowds are following Jesus and his, his fame is spreading even so much so that King Herod, the local kind of uh, puppet of the Romans is, is, is saying, Hey, you know, I, I want to meet with Jesus. Who is this Jesus? How can he be doing what he's doing? He's asking tons of questions. Uh, we saw that last week. And of course, right in the middle of the mix are the Pharisees, our lovely friends, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel in particular at this moment, that's it's the scribes and the Pharisees who we know from Matthew 12, one, a couple chapters back a couple months ago, um, <laughs> they are seeking to condemn and destroy Jesus. That is what their mission is as he has been, uh, as he is messing with their power structure. It's amazing. Instead of them embracing and pointing people to them, they are the ones who are supposed to be doing that. They're the ones who are seeking to undermine him and to destroy him. And they will on the cross, but he will overcome. Amen. Easter's coming. And so one of their methods of doing this, one of their methods of destroying him was, was to try to get him tripped up regarding the law of Moses, you know, that he would break something. Remember we were talking about the Sabbath and, you know, Hey, why are your disciples doing something on the Sabbath? And, and, and not only Jesus trying to trip Jesus up, but also his followers, his disciples, because they were direct um, links to him, right? Uh, you know, they were, pupils of his. And so, Hey, why aren't your uh, disciples keeping the law of Moses? What are they doing? Grabbing grain on the Sabbath and eating. They're working, they're guilty. And you are a part of all this. Therefore you are discredited as a lawbreaker in front of all of Israel. That's what they're trying to do. And here again, they come and they attack the disciples and they say, why are your disciples not keeping in step with the traditions of the elders, not the law of Moses, but the tradition of the elders. Why aren't they keeping with the traditions that we keep in that they don't wash their hands before they eat in verse two says that Jesus responds to them. 
And we'll break all that down in a minute. But Jesus says, why, why, do your uh, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they did not wash their hands when they eat, is what the, is what the Pharisees said. And the Pharisees are accusing the disciples of going against the tradition of the elders. And Jesus is condoning of it. Now, if you're just joining us in the book of Matthew, you will have missed out on the wonderful fun when we talked about the traditions of the elders. Basically, these are the oral traditions of Israel. They are not written down at this point in time. Eventually, they would be written down in a book called the Mishnah, which is basically the best practices for Jewish living, according to the law. That's kind of how I throw that together. And by the way, emphasis on best practices means you must do this. Um, and so basically, uh, what they're doing is they have all these collections of interpretations of the law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses, and they've got all these interpretations. They've made up all these rules on how to view what the commandments mean. And, and all those, and we went into great length about how crazy all these rules were. Well, one of those rules that they made up was regarding um, was regarding washing your hands before you were eating. So this would be called the traditions of the elders were all these rules and world traditions. And so washing your hands before you, now this isn't about hygiene, you know, this isn't about uh, it, but this is about rather a ceremonial washing that was meant to keep a person from becoming unclean in their worship. Remember being clean, being ceremonial clean was a very important thing to the Jews. And God put an emphasis on it. You were to be a clean people who come before me and worship. In other words, there's to be a cleansing before you approach me, all that kind of type of stuff. And, and, and what would happen is they said there's, there was a certain way that you had to wash your hands for 20 seconds, at least with warm water, vigorously with soap. That's that was what it was. If you didn't do that, you were not following the tradition of the elders. No, actually it was, it was water that had to be dipped in a certain way and it came off your wrist. It wasn't allowed to go down your arms and you kind of dipped your hands in the water. They had to fall off your wrists in a certain way. Then you did it the other way and it had to go off your wrist in a certain way. And then if you did it in that way, you were ceremonially clean. Then you could eat and the food you were eating wasn't unclean if it was kosher and you were all legit, right? So that was the tradition of the elders. Hey, why aren't your guys doing that? Why aren't they doing that? The disciples were not following the ceremonial traditions and the Pharisees saw it and they saw an opportunity to condemn Jesus for breaking that. It was no small deal because the elder, the, the, uh, the Pharisees, they held the traditions of the elders often in higher regard than they did the law of God. Their interpretations of what God said were higher than what God had actually said. So why are your disciples, why are your disciples breaking the tradition of the elders was the question to Jesus. Well, Jesus answers them with a question as Jesus always does. He answered them verse three. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Wow. He flips it on them. Doesn't he? He flips it on them. Jesus points out that their legalistic traditions were held in higher esteem by these men than the commandments of God. Now the traditions can be meaningful can't they? In, in, in many things, you know, in this regard, like for example, we, ha we have personal traditions that we keep or maybe habits or disciplines that we do every single day. You know, you know, I, we're living in a society that just wants to deconstruct any form of tradition there ever was. 
that we're just living in an age of rebellion, which is, which is not good for so many reasons, but there are traditions that need to be kept. You know, it's probably a good idea to wake up and brush your teeth every morning. We all thankful for that. Take a shower, you know, these kinds of things, eat, you know, take care of yourself. Those are, those are maybe habits, disciplines, but there are things that, you know, read your Bible every day, pray, you know, go to church, all that kind of stuff. You know, these traditions that we have, let's say personally that we, we adhere to that are good for our souls, that are good for us. Um, Paul exhorted people to keep traditions. He was talking to the churches. Hey, keep some of these traditions. Like in second Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15. I'll give you an example. Second Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15. He says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. Listen, Paul's just saying, Hey, listen, we ought to always praise God for you. This is the people the writing to the church. We should be thanking God for you because you've came to faith in the Lord. Verse 14 to this, he has called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ, man, you've, you've been born again and, and you're going to obtain the glory of Jesus Christ. You've believed in the gospel Continue to believe it is the idea. Verse 15. So then brothers stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Paul is commanding them to hold to the traditions. Now, what traditions is he holding to the gospel, the word that they were communicating as apostles? That's those are the traditions there to hold to good traditions. Amen. He does it again in first Corinthians 11. Paul says, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions as I delivered them to you. I commend you. You're keeping the traditions. Well, what are you talking about? Well, this was about the headdress, the head coverings for women. So why aren't you all keeping the tradition? I'm just kidding. I know it's just that dry, straight humor. No, <laughs> Where are your head coverings? And it's like no hats in church. This is about head coverings, but the tradition that was cultural then was rooted in the fact that God created men and women distinctly in roles with one another in, in before God. And there was a whole submission thing. Women were taking on roles that they shouldn't. Men were taking on roles that they shouldn't, that kind of thing. There needed to be a clarity. He says, listen, it's honoring to God for women to show submission and for men not to wear hats because of the order of creation. He makes this idea. But the whole idea is that the tradition was rooted, not in some kind of everybody needs to wear hats. The root the thing was keep the word, keep what God had originally has called us to as men and women. Don't blurry the lines church talking to the church, living in a totally pagan culture of Corinth where prostitutes had shaved their heads and wouldn't wear head coverings and came down every single night and prostitute themselves in the city. And women were feeling liberated to just act like this in the church. And Paul says, no, 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 no. This is going against what God has called us to be holy and set apart. Actually, your, your long hair is a, is a mark of your submission and your beauty before the Lord and all these kinds of things. So in other words, you know, I can get into that controversial topic if you want to talk about it for the next 20 minutes, but let's not. The point is some traditions are really good to keep. 
And at that time in that place, Paul was saying, keep this tradition because it honors the word of God in the, in our cultural context. That's what's going on there. And Jesus calls them on one of their examples in, in the, Jesus was talking to the, the Pharisees. They had their own traditions, but these were not good traditions. And he gives them an example in verse four. He says, well, first of all, he gives them the commandment of God. The fifth commandment out of the 10 commandments is for God commanded, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. He paraphrases. He makes, brings it down to the root. Listen, honor your mother and father under penalty of death. That's what God clearly commanded. That's what he gave the Israelites in the law to scripture. There's just no way about it. So what was to happen is if you back talked your mom or your dad, they would take you out to the edge of the city and they'd kill you. Guess how many kids were back talking their mom and dad in the city in the rest of society? How many? Very few. God knows what he's doing. He sets the standard respect and honor your parents. Now, obviously there's the flip side of that. Parents need to be respectful and honor worthy, but regardless, it's a one-sided deal. You respect and honor your parents, right? By the way, we depart from that obedience when they depart from obeying God. So there was a clear command. God says, listen, this is the fifth commandment. This isn't like some kind of subtle thing. This is one of the big ones, one of the 10 commandments for Israel, right? So pretty clear what God commanded the law of Moses, but here's what they did. Verse five, but you say, here's your tradition. If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me, mom and dad is given to God. I can't help you. And he says, therefore the Pharisees said he is not, he, he need not honor his mother and father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void. The word of God is what Jesus says. Now, what Jesus is describing here is something called Korban. It's, it's described maybe by that word in, in another translation. How do you have Korban there? Anybody in this one? No, it's in one of the other gospels where it has this recorded Korban. And Jesus is saying, this is basically a Korban is an offering dedicated to God, a sacrifice dedicated to God. And so Jesus says, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. In other words, you made a tradition that voids a person's responsibility. God called responsibility to honor their parents at any age by saying to them, Hey, if you say that all your stuff is given to God, you can't help. You, I'm sorry. I can't help you. All my stuff is given to God. Now I, you, we do this all the time with like legal stuff. Don't we? There's a law and then we make it into something weird that it doesn't mean, right? That, like this is what the argument is about uh, regarding the Supreme court. Every time they have a justice comes up, are you going to be a strict originalist interpretation? Are you going to hold to that original intent of that? Or are you going to make some kind of make believe about what you think it is going to be in our modern context? Now, I know there's arguments on both sides and I don't want to get totally political at the moment, <clears throat> but Jesus was like an originalist because he wrote it. <laughs> Honor your mother and father under penalty of death. That's what God meant. There's just to be this love for your parents, right? But what you've done in the name of worshiping God of honoring God is you've created a way in which you don't need to honor your parents. That's your tradition. 
Seems like a good thing to give your stuff to God, but not at the expense of not honoring your parents when they come to you and say, I need help. And the rabbis were teaching, you're not guilty of this. If you've given your stuff to God, Jesus says, you have made void the word of God at the expense of your traditions. You have voided the commandments of God. So he says there, verse seven, you hypocrites doesn't like lighten up because you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? Listen, this is what the word says of you. This is fulfilled right now with you guys. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain did they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Boy, this is scary stuff. I mean, as a pastor, do I teach the word of God or do I teach Matt's interpretation of the word of God? Do I teach, you know, what's culturally relevant? You know, and, and put that spin on it, you know, or, or do I divide it up correctly and give you what he's saying. That's why teachers will be held in greater, you know, have a greater, somebody help me judgment. Yeah. But Jesus points out their hypocrisy and then he quotes Isaiah 29, 13, which was fulfilled on them. It was, this was true of the Pharisees and it's true today. It's true in the church today or in those places that call themselves the church today. Uh, you know, you, we've, I don't want to pick, but some low hanging fruit, you know, like, like this, look at the Roman Catholic church. Uh, yes, there are believers in the Roman Catholic church. But again, it's in spite of the doctrine. It's not because of them, but you have the worship of Mary. You have praying to Mary. You have sainthood. You have praying to the saints. You have relics that you go to and you touch and you pray and all these things. And people justify those things away, but those are all man-made traditions. And you can go down the road. You just keep going and going and going. And they equate, they put those things on equal footing. Although they say they don't, they do. Cause that's what people believe. They, they put them on equal footing than what the Bible says. Cause when you go to them and say, why the word says this, they go, yeah, but the church says this. Which one do you do? So we have these things. The Protestant church does our own little song and dance, don't we? We've got things we do that we call worship. That's nowhere in scripture. It's not meaning you can't have guitars in a band and all that kind of stuff and sing songs to the Lord in our modern context. But the things we do gets weird. It's not in there and God doesn't ask for it. And yet sometimes we put expectations on people that unless you experience X, Y, and Z, it's not worship. You know, but before we throw rocks at everybody else, but do, do I worship God in vain? Do you worship God in vain? Do we, on the one hand, God worship, honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. Do we play church? You know, we, we can fool one another, but we can't fool the Lord. He sees right through you. He sees it just like he saw them. The, everybody else were looking at these guys going, man, you're it. 
You are. When I grow up, I want to be a Pharisee. I've got your trading card and everything, (laughs) you know, but for us, what do we do? Do we worship God in vain? By the way, worship is what God describes it to be. What he says it is to be not what we say it is not what we want it to be. That's really important. He's the one who created us to worship him. And he defines the parameters for what is worship and not. And he said to them, you worship me in vain. They're like, no, we worship you. No, you worship me in vain. It's not worship. That's crazy. So God gets the determining factor on what is worship and what isn't. God is now desiring those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not just in a building. The building is nice and all that, but in spirit. Not just by the letter of the law, but by the spirit of the law. Am I, are you following me? Are you listening to my voice? Is my word not only off the page, but in your heart? Do you long to follow me? Do you long to love me? That's worship. And by the way, the musical expression is just, is something God has blessed us with as an outward flow of that real true heart of worship. But in our own walks with the Lord individually as a church body, do we have man-made traditions that we substitute for the clear teaching of the word of God? I don't know. We can, if there's a place to pick apart, we can pick it apart. I'm, I'm not trying to get picky. Just saying we often are blind to these things in our own lives. We create our own man-made traditions that we kind of use as an excuse not to follow the intent of what God had called us to. Don't we? Jesus says, don't forsake the gathering together. And I just bring that because that's low hanging fruit. Cause we all struggle with that. You know, I praise God. I'm accountable every Sunday to be here. Amen. Like what happened to Matt? I just didn't feel like going to church today. Well, wow, it's been three weeks. Where's it been? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching online, but you know, it wasn't, no one's online. Where is the guy? You know, and you know, don't forsake the gathering together, but, but I'm going to go to church online. This works best for me right now. How many of us are guilty of that in my own heart, my own mind? And I'm not talking about, you know, my dear brothers and sisters who are ailing in physical stuff right now in our home. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about lazy Christianity, self-serving Christianity, which we all get into. Amen. And I'm not, I understand we're getting older. I get it. I'm not, where are you? I'm checking you off. I'm talking about legalism, giving you legalism. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying we wrestle with this stuff, don't we? And we spiritualize it away. Oh, I have church in the mountains. I've heard it. All this kind of stuff. It's like, no, actually church is where God says it is. It's a people. And you're part of a body. And if the arm doesn't show up, it hurts for extended period of time. And by the way, you need us. We need you. We're connected. This is God's view of the, of the church. See, forget about your view, learn his view and, 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 and embrace it. And you'll be blessed for it. And it's not about getting people in the pews. Yes, that's awesome. I mean, it's great, but I mean that we would just, Worship him in spirit and truth. We love him and obey him and long for the things that he longs for in our hearts. Amen. Not in a legalistic fashion, but in the way he's laid it out for us is don't forsake. Why is he doing that? Cause he's trying to get you in a building. 
Is that his motive? What's his motive? Love. It's an opportunity to love and to learn and to pray and to be selfless and to do things that God would want to do in and through you because you are him. You're an extension of him. I mean, if that makes sense, you're part of him. You are the body of Christ. You know, if your brother sins against you, go to them. We'll get there in Matthew 18. Oh, I'll pray for them. Yeah, I'll pray for them. But God says, go to them. Oh, I'm not going to go to them. I'm going to pray for them. If your brother sins against you, go to them. That's really difficult. Isn't it? Because what is, what do we not want to do? I don't want to have conflict. But see what Jesus wants to have is restoration. And he wants us to obey him. He knows better. And elders, we've walked through this so many times and it's just like, it's hard. It's hard for us. It's hard for people. It's messy. God says, your brother sins, go to him. I was going to pray for them. There's a time to pray. You pray and you also obey, right? I think believers grapple with this stuff, kind of stuff all the time on many levels where we can spiritualize away what God has clearly called us to obey. Anyone else? It's not just me struggling with this this morning. Okay, good. But what this really reveals, ultimately, this is kind of the heart of something that's a little bit beyond the passage we're in right here. But what this reveals when we kind of, when we gravitate towards these man-made types of things, it just reveals that we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and direct us. You know, and I've noticed that in my own life. When I'm controlled by the Spirit, I'm sensitized to the commands of God. I'm sensitized to the things that he wants me to do because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kind of self-control, all those things, right? Gentleness. Um, and so when we are a church that is filled with the spirit, in other words, we are, this word is in us and it's living through us and we're, and we're lined up and we were confessing and all these types of things. We're just in connection with him, man, we're going to be seeing and operating and living with his eyes. That's the church. That's what it's to be a people who are sensitized to hear his voice, who follow him, who are listening for his opportunities and the things he wants us to do in and around us and in one another. That's the church. It's not rules and regulations. Went to church check. Amen. It's I'm going to worship God in spirit and truth. I'm going to connect with the people of God. I need them. They need me. God use me this morning in their life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Amen. And the bonus when we all gather together is Sunday, use me, let me be led and filled. You know, the spirit teaches us and we learn and we obey and whatever his, he teaches us is going to be in harmony with scripture. Amen. Just want to put that in there. It's not going to be, unless we get weird. But the Pharisees were hypocrites. They taught that their traditions were as if God commanded them. And Jesus flips it on them. It says, you break the traditions. You can't, you're saying, I break the traditions of the elders. You break the traditions of God at the expense of keeping the commands of the elders. So apparently this was a public exchange. <laughs> Verse 10. And he called the people to him and said, hear and understand. 
It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This is what defiles a person. So what the Pharisees were saying, if you did not wash your hands in the way that we've prescribed it, you were unclean. And therefore the thing, the food that you touched would become unclean and you would eat it and you would be defiled. Right. And we can kind of take that from a bacteria kind of standpoint, but just take it from that and flip it to spiritual. You're not going to be right with God unless you wash your hands in the right way. Right? And, and Jesus said, no, a person doesn't become defiled by what they eat, you know, by wa- the washing of their hands. It isn't what goes into your mouth, but rather what comes out of your mouth that defiles a person. It comes back. He comes back to this in just a second. We'll come back to that. But verse 12, look at it. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? I mean, are you oblivious to the fact that the spiritual leaders are not happy with you right now? You call them out in public, you call them hypocrites, and you tell them that they were breaking the commandments of God, the very thing that they proclaim to keep and profess, right? That's going to happen, church. People, it seems more than ever, are going to be offended by the truth of the word of God ourselves included. But the legalists were bent on having everyone follow their man-made traditions that they created. And when people didn't create it and they didn't follow these traditions that they had, oh man, it's as if you broke the commandments of God. And we deal that with today. That's like if you flip it over into secular life, like with pronouns. It's like, I am not using pronouns and neither should you. Why? And let this strike you a chord because they're telling you, you've got to keep this tradition, but it goes against what God said. Listen, it's not that we don't love people and care about people. That's it. But I love God. And here's the situation is that God created that person, a male or a female. And to go along with saying that they are something that they are not is to engage in a lie. And that is not loving for them. And it is not honoring to God in the way that he made us. So I won't do it. And you shouldn't either, but people are going to be deeply offended. We might be off YouTube right now. So it's not about hate. It's about honoring God. And you also honor the person by upholding the truth of God to them hopefully in a loving way. And that's the part we've got to work on. Amen. And the Pharisees and legals today were, they were greatly offended and the disciples saw it and they told Jesus in verse 13, here's Jesus's answer. This is how we respond to people who are super offended by these things. He answered every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Don't make your life's mission to try to change people in this scenario. You're not going to change the Pharisees. Leave them alone. Share the word of God. If they respond to it, praise God. If not, leave them alone. Leave them alone. If they're the Lord's, they'll come about. If they're not, they won't. They'll fall into a pit. 
This does not mean that God does not call us to walk and move alongside people. That's not what I'm saying. He's talking about an example of legalism here where there's just an obstinance in a, in a rejection of God's truth. Just saying, listen, leave him alone. Jesus calls the Pharisees blind, spiritually blind. That is. And those who followed them, those who bit onto what they believed were blind as well. The blind leading the blind. And they're going to eventually fall into a pit, which is a idiom for destruction. That's their, that's the path where they're headed. So we should heed Jesus's words in these matters. Leave them alone. They might not leave you alone, but do your best to be at peace with all men. Verse 15, but Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. He comes back. He goes, okay, we told you they were upset, but now what did you mean by the whole clean, not clean thing? We need to know this because we're in a legalistic relationship with you right now. And he wanted to know what Jesus meant when he was talking to the crowd about what defiles a person. Verse 16, he said, are you still without understanding? Yes, Lord. (laughs) I am. Anybody else? Amen. How patient he's expecting them to have spiritual growth. He's expecting them to understand all the things he's been sharing them. And he goes, Oh, you have little faith. Come on. Don't you, shouldn't you keep believing how many, you know, he's going to keep doing this to them. They're going to grow. Thanks. Thank the Lord. He's still with us. Amen. Remember, Oh, you have little faith, right? Now you're now without understanding. Can anyone relate? Yes. Amen. Well, Jesus teaches Peter and the gang and us verse 17. Do you not see whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? We all understand the normal digestive process. Jesus is saying, you guys have got that, right? You don't, you understand that? Yes. Jesus said early in verse 11, that what you put in your mouth doesn't defile you. It isn't the food. It isn't the lack of hand-washing. It isn't the physical that we're talking about here. Verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart in this defiles a person. It's not what comes in. It's what comes out. And he's not talking about anything physical. He's talking about what he's talking about here in verse 19. He says for the, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are things that proceed out of the human heart. The Pharisees were so concerned about the washing of, of their hands and what food they ate and all the external stuff. How many of you foodies are like so obsessed with what you eat? Yeah. Well, just pretend you're a Pharisee for the moment. And you are so obsessed about carbs or gluten or not gluten and all this kind of stuff. And you just kind of get all, and I know I'm touching buttons here, (laughs) right? And you get into this personal diet type stuff. And, and then Jesus, none of that matters. It's actually what comes out of your mouth that matters. And you're just going, what? My whole world is this other thing. It's all about the physical and the upkeep and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying no need healthy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't wash your hands. Okay. Public announcement done. (laughs) (laughs) Praise God. You guys have discernment and minds and we could all learn from each other. But what Jesus is saying here is they're so concerned with that external stuff. They are not concerned with what's really important. What really defiles a person, the true thing that defiles a person, the human heart. Our human hearts. You've got this death machine within each of us, and it produces all this kind of expression 
What kind of expression? Evil thoughts, murder, sexual immorality, adultery, theft, lying, false witness, slander. He's just giving a couple examples. So this is what comes out of the human heart. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. Our hearts are the root of whatever kind of tree we are. He's just saying it in a different way. A good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree, bad fruit. James in chapter three talks about the words coming out of the mouth of people. And how many of us are all guilty of this? Verse eight, chapter three, verse eight, by the way, because we're all guilty, doesn't make it right. It's just something we all, a failure we have in common. He says in verse eight of chapter three of James, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison with it. We bless our Lord and father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Wow. From the same mouth come blessing and cursings. My brother, this thing ought not to be. So does this. And he goes, why ought that not be? So why, if you're a Christian, this ought not to be. So if you have a good tree, this ought not to be. So if your heart has been born again, if you're good, if you really are who you say you are, this ought not to be. So does a spring pour forth from the same opening as both fresh and salt water. Now science nerds, leave me alone for a second. Just, <laughs> You've got salt water and you've got fresh water sources and brackish waters where they meet. Right. But it's either there's one or the other kind of source that he's talking about. He's just talking in general figures. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? No, that would be, that shouldn't be, should be one or the other. Right. Can a fig tree, my brothers bear olives or a grape produce figs? You know, we're not talking about grafting. No, the natural tree, this is the kind of tree that it is, bears that kind of fruit. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In other words, your heart reveals what you are. And your words reveal it. And he goes in verse 13, he says, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That's a good tree bearing good for verse 14 but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false about the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, bad tree, bad fruit. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Our hearts defile us, not eating with unwashed hands, Jesus says. Where's your heart? How do you know what's going on in your heart? God's giving you a thermometer. It's coming out your mouth. Uh, so what do you do now right now? By God's grace, you see what comes out of your heart is evil and you're convicted. What do you do? God wants to give you a new heart, right? And if you don't know the Lord, first of all, you can't make this right. God makes this right. He wants to give you a new heart. Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day. 
that you'd be born again and have new life, new heart. That's something God does. His spirit comes in you, makes you new. What do I got to do to earn that? You can't because earning that is religion. It's every false religion on the earth. You simply believe in Jesus Christ. He came down and he did what you could not do. He lived a life you could not live. And he rose again to give you his life. He died for your sins to pay them all in full. Done. It's by grace. And that grace isn't cheap. It's God's willingness to change you from the inside out, not to stay in your sin. So you confess. Well, what does Romans say? Repent, confess your sin to God, right? That just means God, what you say about my heart condition is right. I see it. I don't see it perfectly, but you're right. I'm a sinner. I deserve separation. You know, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what Romans 10 says. Confess with your mouth. There's actually a physical something you do. It's something that happens. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. What does Lord mean? He's curios. He's King. He's ruler of your heart. We sang it. My heart is yours. My heart is yours. Take it all. Take it all. My life in your hands. That's what him being Lord is. Everything is yours. You are Lord. You're Lord of this mess. Confess that he's Lord. And also believe in your heart. There's a faith. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and you will be saved. Confess, confess, believe you'll be saved. So what is it that you're doing? You're just simply responding to the Holy spirit who is convicting you of your sin and of guys, Jesus's righteousness. And he just graciously gives you his life that can happen right now. Now, and I pray that it does. Now, if you've been following the Lord and you have a spirit, you are going to be deeply uncomfortable in your heart and your life. You're going to be a miserable Christian. If you continue to walk and stuff like that And his spirit is going to be convicting you. So what do you do? You confess <laughs> and you repent. You say, God, it is how you say it is. I've gone, I've, I've gone away. And this is what's coming out of my mouth, which shows me I've got a heart problem. Go read Galatians chapter five about the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the flesh. And let the Holy spirit take control of your heart and your life once again. And he's going to start speaking to you. Give up this, do this, follow this. Let me change you. And he'll just start working in your heart heart, and you'll be a different person as you just love and obey him. So, I think that's a, that's a pretty, he's just showing the inward part here. We're almost done. In verse 21, Jesus went away from there after talking and convicting those guys. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now this is the, this is the North in Lebanon, modern day Lebanon on the coast. This is Gentile land. In verse 22, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. Wow. If you're a mother in this room, can you imagine 
having your child in a situation where they are not only oppressed by a demon, but severely oppressed. Remember what demons did. They caused people to be blind, mute, deaf, to cut themselves, to run, throw themselves into fire, to run around naked, to be out of their mind. This is, and severely must mean, it must have been a combination of a lot of these things going on in this person's life. The enemy wants to destroy, but the Lord didn't answer her. The Lord didn't answer her. This woman's daughter was severely oppressed and she cries out, have mercy me on me, son of David. This is a Gentile woman. And in the next two things here, the next two sections are, are dealing with kind of a Gentile-ish land, an area. She cries out and she's calling him a foreigner, calling him the son of David. I mean, just amazing. But Jesus didn't answer a word. Now, before you get upset at Jesus, he knows what he's doing. Okay. Verse 23 in the middle there, it says, and his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. You got to send her away. She just keeps asking for stuff. And he answered, he doesn't answer directly. He just has a masterful way of doing this. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He lets them know why I wasn't, why he wasn't answering. I am not sent to Gentiles. I am sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So this woman is persistent with the disciples first off. And he said, get her out of here. And they wanted the Lord to send her away. And he answers them. I was sent only to the house of Israel. Now this was true. Absolutely true. Paul talks about salvation comes to the first to the, the, the Jews and then to the Gentiles. We know that from Romans and other places, but also the picture of Abraham and Isaac through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So not only the Jews, but to all the Gentiles, but it was not that time yet for God's ministry to fully expand into the Gentile world. So it would appear that the odds were against her. The Lord would reject her. Sorry. It's not time to minister to you Gentiles, you Gentiles, you Gentiles yet. That's it. I'm leaving. Forget this religion. God didn't answer me. Verse 25, but she came and knelt before him. Some of you have worshiped same word proskuneo, right? I think she said, Lord, Corios, help me. And he answered, he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I'm leaving. You called me a dog. The Jews called the Gentiles dogs, but usually that word was a pack of dogs. It's a different word. This word apparently is one for a house pet, a puppy. I know it doesn't translate well to calling people dogs, but guess what? He's giving an imagery. He says, listen, the children's place is at the table. That's who I've come to feed right now. And you're a little puppy under the table. We'll get to you. And she, you can imagine I'm, I'm out of here. I'm done. Verse 27. What does she do? She says, yes, Lord. In other words, you're right. It isn't time. 
And it isn't right that I get what they are rightfully given. Yet even the little puppies there, the dogs, eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Give me just a crumb. How many of you have inside dogs? Are they ready like vacuum cleaners or what? (laughs) It's not for them, is it? It's for you. But what happens? Crumb falls off the table and then you get it before it even hits the ground. Sometimes they're so amazing. And here she is. And what do you find about this woman? What it keeps coming out? What is she doing? She is persevering. What is that? Though does that a symbol of what does that reveal within her? She has what in Jesus? She has faith. Her faith doesn't stop when God doesn't answer. She keeps on persevering. Someone flip over to Luke 18. And they told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. This is Jesus telling them a parable, the disciples. I want you to learn to pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Then there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, God, give me justice against my adversary for a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. It's like, she just keeps bugging me with this situation. He's an unjust judge and she's just persistent. Please, 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 please. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge says, verse seven of Luke 18. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Isn't God going to answer his elect? If this was an unjust judge and he answered, what do you think God who is just is going to do with his elect, his chosen, his kids? Do you think he's going to delay forever? He says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will we still be calling out to him when he has not given us the immediate answer we want? See, faith perseveres. Believers believe. I keep saying these things in different ways. Keep praying. And this woman kept at Jesus. Just like a little dog at the table. She just was longing for a crumb. Lord, I don't need the whole table. I don't need anything. Just a crumb. Can you give me a crumb? And there's one thing that God cannot resist. It's faith in his son. Faith in his son. And she kept coming to Jesus. And then Jesus answered, oh woman, great is your faith. Magnificent is your faith. He just marveled at her. Be it done as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now who was listening to all this that was going on? What are they struggling with? Faith. Feed them with what? Come out in the water. 
ah, sinking. And they're going to do it again. They're going to forget bread. And they're going to go, oh, I don't know. Where are we going to, what are we going to eat? Jesus is like, don't you know me yet? Do you trust me? Here's this woman who, who's far off, who shouldn't know what they know, isn't even on the inner circle. And what does he do? What does she do? Oh, son of David, just a crumb. And the Lord rewards her and heals her daughter. Man, can we be a church that cries out to God? I want to be that myself, not one who is reserved in my worship of him, but is abandoned to him, not in a weird charismatic way, but just in a genuine way as we gather together, loving him and praising him and asking him for things over and over and calling out to him and watching him answer prayers and not answer prayers and do what his goodwill is in our life. Amen. And he teaches to believe, you know, and I'm not, I'm just talking to myself and I'm sure you guys are like, yeah, I, I can see that, Matt. <laughs> but yeah, amen. He's so good. Let's close. I want to sing that one last song just as we close. We'll just sing it quickly and leave. I cry out for your hand of mercy to heal me. I am weak and I need your love to free me. Oh Lord, my God, my strength, come rescue me. Oh Lord, you're my hope. You know, and, I, and something about forever. I forgot what it was. Uh, I long to worship you forever. Something like that. For you are good. For you are good. For you're good to me. Five more minutes for the Lord. Okay. Five more minutes. We can do it. <laughs> Let's stand. I cry out for your hand of mercy to heal me. I am weak. I need your love to free me. Oh, strength and weakness come rescue me oh Lord you are my hope and your promise never fails me and my desire is to follow you forever for Yes, you are good. Yes, you are good. Yes, you are good to Jesus, you're good. Jesus, you're good. Jesus, you're good. Jesus, you're good to me. I cry out 
for your hand of mercy to heal me. I am weak. I need your love to free me. Yeah, Lord, thank you so much for the truth in those words and the truth that we've read today in the truth. Lord, free our hearts. Let us confess openly to you what our sins are and cleanse us and restore us and give us the joy of our salvation as we go. May there be no foothold of the enemy in our life and in this place, in our hearts, in your name. Amen. God bless you.